USA Basketball, we discussed the team. I thought that regardless of who went, I thought they still should have, could have won. Obviously, some injuries happened to some guys. Foul trouble, zone defenses, a lot of things kind of factored in. What about ninja-style headwear? I think the only reason they're banning it is because some of the sponsors of the NBA haven't figured out how to place logos on that material. And they basically don't want guys wearing certain things that aren't logo-themed because it's affecting the bottom line. My Browns are another team who suffered a tough loss. We were favored by, what, five and a half? At one point, I think it was locked in at six-point favorites. We kind of dropped the ball. Welcome to the TJ Oshie episode of Pull Up. That's right, episode number 74. Currently back in Portland, Oregon, working out with the team, getting ready for the season as we get closer and closer to opening night. You know, about 18, 19 days left until training camp and another week or so until we officially start preseason. But in the meantime, football season has officially started. My Browns took a nice little lump to start the season, as Jordan has pointed out. It was a tough, tough start for my Browns team, but we shall overcome. The USA team ended up losing uh, to France in the semifinals. Rudy Gobert was spectacular. Donovan Mitchell played extremely well. Um, they ended up uh, losing and we now faced Serbia, I believe, in the fifth place match. Is that right, Jordan? They lost in the semis, so this would actually be to get a, a, a bronze medal. Oh, no, you're right. Quarterfinals. You're absolutely right. I was just so programmed to think Serbia was such a favorite. I was really surprised Serbia lost. Because Serbia was the I favorite. I was really surprised that they lost. Uh, they lost to New Zealand. Is that who it was? Yeah, which is a big shock. Interesting. I We had talked about USA basketball. We discussed the team, how good the team was, the versatility of the players that were on the actual roster. I thought that regardless of who went, I thought they still should have, could have won. Obviously, some injuries happened to some guys. Some guys ended up dropping out last minute. Um, foul trouble, zone defenses, a lot of things kind of factored in. I didn't watch the game, so I'm not sure what happened down the stretch, but I heard there was some free throws missed. I heard there was a little bit of everything and then not being able to get stops. Um, Frank played extremely well um, for France. And I think... Um, Based on some of the tweets I read, Evan Fournier also played extremely well. So um, hats off to France. They played uh, an amazing game and were able to overcome a solid USA roster. Yeah, it was actually Argentina, my mistake, uh, that beat that beat Spain, um, which is still an ups. Oh, Luis Scola's, Scola's team. Yeah, so Argentina uh, beat Serbia. Spain is also in the semis. So uh, my, my apologies. Um, CJ, I wasn't necessarily shocked by the fact that the U.S. lost to France, but I think we need to look at the bigger picture here and, and really be real about what the situation is. Uh, for one, you have a team that is extremely inexperienced. We talk about Kemba Walker being the elder statesman, if you will, at 29 years old. Uh, this team did not have any real size. Uh, Miles Turner was really their only true big that they could rely on, and um, they, they just did not have the interior fortitude that France did. Uh, obviously, Gobert gave them a ton of fits. We'll talk about that. They did not guard pick and roll really well. And on top of that, they had a hard time defending France um, in terms of their ability to space the floor. Um, I, I thought France's physicality really hurt the U.S. And, you know, not having Jason Tatum was a big was a big problem. I mean, the guy was probably, you know, he, he's one of their most 
you know, consistent scores and someone that can really break down a defense. His length would have been a problem in this game for France, and that really affected the U.S. And when you have a team that has not played a lot of international basketball, CJ, and also a team that has not played together very often, these are the kind of problems you run into. And, you know, things break down when, when they're not going well. So when the U.S. started to miss shots, and I've now watched this game twice, when they started to miss shots against France, that's when things started to go really awry in the sense that they, they, they got away from their game plan. Um, you know, it's easy to, to follow the script of here's what we should do possession by possession, um, quarter by quarter. But when you are not making shots and you are frustrated, especially on defense, when you're not able to contain them, then France is able to dictate the tempo. And that's what happened in this game. And the U.S. got away from it. And you saw some of that hero ball that does not work in the NBA and certainly doesn't work in international competition. So all of that combined, I think it makes sense that the U.S. lost. Um, it was not for a lack of effort. They played very hard, but they just weren't ready for this type of game. Yeah, I think they definitely struggled, but you have to give those other teams credit. Those other teams have been playing together for a long time, yeah. obviously, yeah. Um, are more familiar with each other. There's a chemistry factor there. They have experience playing internationally, which is completely different than the NBA game we play in terms of spacing some of the rules, the basketball the time, there's a lot of things that are different between uh, NBA games and games in Europe, but you have to give the other teams credit. I think that's the first thing we have to do uh, when you're going through something like this. But then understand that I don't think this is a sign of things to come. I still believe the best basketball in the world is played in the United States uh, in the NBA. And I think if the best players uh, play, which I would imagine they will for the Olympics in Tokyo, there will definitely be a different result uh, going forward, especially if the LeBrons of the world are involved in USAB going forward. I agree with you. Um, what I will say is that it was an effort, though, see. This was not a team that didn't play hard. They, they actually played hard, but they didn't have the size. They didn't have the experience, which, which we I cannot hammer home enough. And, you know, also not having Jason Tatum in this game really hurt them. They, they needed another score to help Donovan, to help – uh, Kemba, who who did not have his best game. You talked about Neil Aquina playing well defensively. Um, you know, I don't think this was a fluke. I, I think you're right. You have to give these teams credit. This is a very good field. And Serbia lost to, and this is pretty surprising, they lost to Argentina. And that was a team that a lot of people, including myself, thought had a really good chance to, to win it all. I think they were the favorites in a lot of... Uh, experts' minds, if you will, and and certainly a team that could challenge the U.S. And now, ironically, the USA and Serbia will play each other for, as you said, a fifth-place game, which is stunning that neither of these teams is going to medal. And that speaks to the quality of this field, CJ. This is a very deep tournament with a lot of experienced teams. You know, we, we've talked about Argentina, obviously Spain, Serbia, France, uh, Brazil, Greece, Lithuania, Turkey. You could go on and on. This is a... This is a very deep field, and it's a sign of basketball continually getting better across the globe, which is a good thing, and I think will make for a better Olympics in 2020 next summer in Tokyo. But, you know, you can't just show up and expect to win in these tournaments, especially when you don't have the experience. I think they just lost, man. I think fans are irrational at times, and honestly, looking at how successful USA basketball has been historically, and looking at how good the players are in the United States, how good a collective roster can be, especially being coached by Pop, being in that USAB pedigree, that cycle of prepare and go dominate, and there's usually utter destruction 
um, in most cases when they go abroad and, and play in the World Cup. And most of the Olympics have been successful for the United States uh, basketball team. But I think people are just kind of overreacting because they're not accustomed to USA losing. Right. USA had won, what, what was it? 58. 58, 58, 58 straight. straight games. Like that's when you have a loss, especially after 50 plus straight consecutive victories, I think that changes people's mindsets and allows them to believe that it shouldn't happen. When in reality, you're bound to lose at some point when you win 50, 60 times in a row, especially when the roster isn't the same as it has been historically with top to bottom. Like you look at the, the dream team, you look at that roster, you look at some of the rosters that have been together with, I don't know, 10 All-NBA players. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's I mean, the redeem team alone, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's 10, 11 All-NBA guys who are at the top of their game and at the peak of their career who had international experience um, as well playing and, and performing at a high level. But you have, to give the, you have to give the other teams credit, but also understand that they didn't lose on purpose. Those guys were competing at a high level. Those guys are professional athletes who play at the highest level for their respective teams and are contributors, and some of them are star players on their respective teams. So it just so happens that they didn't win. You look at Greece. Greece has the MVP of the league. And they weren't able to come away with the championship. You look at some of these other teams who have two, three, four, five NBA players. Look at Spain. I mean, Spain. Spain's still in it. Spain's still in it. But I don't. I don't. I mean, you know, I don't know if they're going to end up winning it. But that team has a ton of NBA guys. Exactly. Uh, Serbia. You know, but Serbia has uh, three, four NBA. I mean, they have Jokic. They have arguably the best big man in the world. Yeah, and it's just it just happens to be that way sometimes to where things don't go your way. Maybe there's foul trouble. Maybe there's an injury. Maybe there's just missed shots. Maybe the other team just plays extremely well. When you have these circumstances and situations to where it's one and done, more so formatted like college basketball, anything can happen on any given night. In the NBA, we're playing series, best out of seven. So you have time to kind of recalibrate. You have time to kind of change your game plan and figure it out if you get down 1-0, if you get down 2-0, if you get down 3-0. But in these cases, you have adjustments to be made at halftime and to be made going into the fourth quarter. And if you don't figure it out and pull it together in that small time frame, the game can be over in the blink of an eye. So I said to a friend, I'm glad you brought the college uh, analysis up because I said to a friend of mine, today uh who's a who's a basketball nut uh, and he 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 said what what would you compare this to and i said well it's almost like an ncaa tournament game where you had two teams that hadn't played against one another like different conferences and i said the usa was like an sec team you know rugged kind of um all over the place in terms of uh you know a high effort but not necessarily like the prettiest team to watch france was like a big 12 team offensively, the way they were spacing the ball and pushing tempo. And uh, it was just, they, they controlled the pace. And, and I thought that was, I don't know if it's a perfect analogy, but it's definitely a way for me to think about how this was, how this was possible. Um, you talked about Rudy Gobert. He was great. Uh, Fournier was really good. You know, France is very good. And I thought Greg Popovich, this is why I really like him. He said, I think it's a disrespectful notion to even bring something like basically like the stars who withdrew up. He said, that's disrespectful to France and whoever else is in this tournament. France beat us. It doesn't matter who who was on the team. And that's why I love Pop. I mean, he he understands that they got beat. Like you said, they just lost. Right. And I think it's a realistic situation to where 
things are going to happen sometimes. You can't win every game, regardless of who goes, regardless of who shows up. The games have to be played. And I think in this circumstance and situation, Pop was just explaining to them, like, look, they played a, a great game. Gobert was amazing. A lot of those guys had career nights or close to career nights in terms of efficiency, in terms of being locked in, making the right plays, making the right passes. The USA team was up by, what, eight with eight minutes left? Yeah, they they they, they kind of had control of the game, yeah. Right. That was a very, very winnable game. And you look at the situation, if USA wins this game, I think they go on to win the gold medal. And no one exactly. is, is talking yeah. about this situation or about how people dropped out or about how uh, they weren't able to execute. And now the question marks come about the roster and, and all those things. But in reality, they should just be saying hats off to France and move forward and, and look forward to uh, the Olympics in 2020. This is also a, 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 another reminder, CJ, that basketball is getting better globally. There are, we talked about how deep this field is. I mean, you could go on and on with how, how many formidable teams there were. We haven't talked about Lithuania. We haven't really talked about Argentina. Um, you know, there, basketball continues to get better internationally. And that, I think that's a positive. It'll certainly make for a more competitive um, Olympic games next, next summer. The U S did qualify. Somebody asked me today, well, because they're not going to medal, did they not qualify? Yes, they qualified. They're in the Olympics next summer. Um, and uh, and hopefully this will be a, a learning lesson that that anybody can be beat, even a team like the USA with 58 straight wins on international uh, soil with, um, with NBA players. Absolutely. And speaking of anybody can be beat, my Browns. The Browns. Or another team who suffered a— Another favorite team. Another tough, favorite team. Tough loss. We were favored by what five and a half at one point. I think it was locked in at six point favorites over yeah, the Tennessee six, Titans. Yeah, six plus at home. I think we had the second or third most bets to win the Super Bowl, and we kind of we kind of dropped the ball on opening night. I think we'll we'll rally. Obviously, we'll change some things. Um, we'll kind of taper our expectations in terms of understanding that it takes time to develop chemistry. It takes time to develop to develop culture. It takes time for everyone to get used to. Certain play calling, being around each other, certain flow and pace of the offense. We had a great first drive and then we kind of sputtered. So we'll also have to figure out what we want to do from an offensive standpoint in terms of single back versus having the tight end versus having a full back. Or do we completely go back to more West Coast style offense? But we have plenty of time to figure it out. I'm not worried at all as a loyal Browns fan. We've been through worse than a, a 30 point loss at home. And uh, we will rally and beat the Jets on Monday. Monday Night Football, and I will be there to support my Brownies, and I look forward to us coming back from this and finishing the season 10-6 and six or 9-7 and seven and making the playoffs. I'm still holding firm at 10-6. and six. I was kind of, wait, wasn't I saying 11-5? and five? It's one game, people. It's just say, everybody's hammering the Browns. Ironically, they actually got off to a great start and everything came off the wheels. What, was there anything that concerned you other than the fact that they got hammered? Like, was there something specific? Did, did, did Baker not seem comfortable? Um, I, I thought Chubb looked terrific. He didn't get in the end zone, but he looked terrific. Uh, I guess the defense was surprising. Like that's that's kind of where I've been hanging my hat on all summer. That the defense is going to be really good. That that was disappointing. Yeah, I think it was just a lot of things. Lack of execution. We had more penalties than the Browns have had like ever. There's just so many terrible plays where we're holding, we're going all sides, we're false starting, we're doing all these different things to kind of 
give the other team life, give the other team free yardage. And uh, I think that changed the, the pace of the game. It changed the mindset of some of the players. And I think they may have not been as aggressive because they were trying to you know, abide by some of the rules. But there's no excuses. We were outplayed. We were punched in the mouth at home. They ran the ball. They passed the ball. They did whatever they wanted. And uh, we have to do a better job of putting pressure on the quarterback. We have to do a better job of protecting our quarterback. We have to do a better job of protecting the ball and uh, not getting in those third and long situations to where we have a chance to use play action. We have a chance to run screen passes. We have a chance to catch the defense off guard. You know, when you're third and long, you know, the defense kind of soften up and they know you have to pass. And uh, it makes it very difficult when when Baker's facing so much pressure and, and trying to, you know, basically will our team to victory and, and, and sometimes can force passes. But I understand when you get down by a lot, you're trying to make a play to bring the team back. And sometimes things can spiral out of control. Yeah. Uh, you know, speaking of out of control, there were a few games that got out of hand. Um, obviously, Pittsburgh <laughs> got blitzed in New England. Um, Kansas City hammered Jacksonville on the road. Upset pick by me was denied. Um, and Seattle almost lost to Cincinnati at home. I mean, you know, the NFL is a week-to-week league. It's never as bad as it seems unless you're the Miami Dolphins. It's that bad. And it's never quite Jeez. as good as it seems. Jeez. Yeah, I guess that's a that's an exception. They were – that was a joke. Lamar Jackson looked amazing. He looked amazing, and so did Dak Prescott. Lamar Jackson looked like a first ballot Hall of Famer. The guy was unbelievable. And you know I'm a big Lamar Jackson fan. I've, I've been on him – for quite some time, I, I think he's going to be a really good pro. But they get, they made him look like he was, you know, like a 99 in Madden playing on rookie mode. <laughs> That's crazy. He did look fantastic. His efficiency, his ability to pick defense apart in his home state. I know he's from Florida, right? And he was in Miami. Yeah, he's from Miami. Yeah, going to work. So I was happy to see that. And I, I loved his quote after the game. Uh, not bad for a running back. But that showed. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that a lot of players yeah. are aware of what people are saying about them, whether it's the media, whether it's fans, whether it's opposing teams, we're aware. And uh, sometimes people can use that as motivation. And I think in this particular situation, he thrived. I think the game of the week, though, was the Saints-Texans game. Yeah. That game was amazing. Yeah, That was an amazing game to watch as a fan. And to, to see Deshaun Watson's poise hanging in the pocket, delivering strikes, to see Drew Brees be able to drive his team down the field, the receiving that we were able to see was unbelievable. Like, those guys are amazing. And it's funny because you, you watch from afar, but being able to be up close and see it, have a fantasy team, have a fantasy team where you're following certain players and seeing how versatile certain guys are in this league was was amazing for me to watch. And I'm actually one and two. I won one of my fantasy leagues and I lost the other two. So uh, off to a good start in one league on my way to a, I'd say, 10 and six season, just like my Browns. Well, I, I lost. Um, I did have some unfortunate luck nobody wants to hear about. I actually think my team's going to be really good. I got Tyrell Williams. I did not start him, um, but I was DMing with him yesterday. Basically, I'm going to thank him on the show in the next couple of months because we're going to have him on. He's going to have a monster year, and he's going to win my league. I know it. Um, on the Chargers, he, or on the uh, on the Raiders, he's a number one receiver. And um, he said, "I know it." And I thought, I thought um, Lamar Jackson saying that was really cool. Is that you mentioned players hear the media and they hear the fans, but a lot of times players won't necessarily acknowledge it. I thought it was cool that Lamar acknowledged it. I thought it was awesome he acknowledged it because it's something that. 
people have been saying for quite some time, people have been talking about his ability to be a quarterback. Is he accurate enough? Does he have an arm? Should he switch positions? Should he be the receiver? Would he be better utilized as a running back because of his elite speed? And a lot of times there's this stigma attached to African-American quarterbacks to where they're so versatile, they're so athletic, it's almost uh, right. a problem. It's almost a negative to be that athletic because now they're trying to look at ways to put you in different positions. Whereas certain quarterbacks that aren't as athletic are labeled as pocket passers. It's like, oh, he has great feet in the right. pocket. But he's a, he's a pro-style quarterback. Pro-style quarterback. It was like, what does that mean? Like Russell Wilson's a pro-style quarterback, but he still has this capability, which is very important in this league. Aaron Rodgers is a pro-style quarterback, but he has this capability and can move around in the pocket. So I think it's important that you have athleticism. Being able to throw in the pocket is great. Being able to make the right reads and understand and process the defense is one thing. But being able to be athletic, escape pass rushes, because these guys on the front seven are so athletic, running four oh. fives, running four sixes, and being 260-plus pounds. They're faster than a lot of these quarterbacks, but they aren't, they aren't faster than the Lamar Jacksons of the world. They aren't faster than um, some other quarterbacks in this league who are able to be dual threat, uh, run threats, as well as pass threats. I had a conversation with an executive before the season about all the rookie quarterbacks. We weren't even talking about Lamar. And we were talking about pro style. And I, and I finally just said, I said, isn't pro style just slang for white? Isn't that what we're talking about here? And he he kind of laughed. And, and he was like, yeah, it kind of is. Like pro style quarterback basically just means like, like you know what I mean, CJ? Like it's, 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 an, it's an outdated term. The way it's being used. Yeah, it's a stigma that's been attached to the game, and it's it's unfair to a lot of players because the, the Dak Prescotts of the world, some of those guys are elite passers who have this capability. And some of those guys aren't very athletic. Look at a Jameis Winston. He's not very fast. No, not I'm at not all. Using him as example of, of, I'm not using him as an example of a great quarterback, but it's funny how they can be labeled a certain way based on skin color based on where they come from and a lot of times that affects the stigma attached to them now is Lamar Jackson a great quarterback it's to be determined we don't know we're going to find out was he a great quarterback his rookie year no he was a work in progress he showed flashes of brilliance but he also showed that it can be a struggle for him reading defenses and delivering certain throws but in week one he looked great throwing five touchdowns in his debut in the season opener. Um, kind of showed that he was able to speed up his progression because regardless of who you're playing against, it's hard to throw touchdowns and be that accurate. You know, go 10 for 11 and a half is hard to do uh, on the video game for, for, <laughs> for as much as I've played and tried it. <laughs> are, you, are you good at Madden, by the way? You're not very good, right? Uh, no, not anymore. I used to be pretty nice. I used to play in Madden tournaments and stuff like that. You know, at the local uh, video game stores, but I'm an old school Madden player because I run the ball. I I love to run the ball. Everybody wants <laughs> to throw. I like to run the ball. It's kind of like it, it's kind of a, a throwback when you play against me. So we'll we'll have to set that up. Brown Seahawks, of course. <laughs> that would be fun. If we're going to do this, I might have to get some practice in because there's no way I'm going to let you embarrass me uh, well, and talk about it on the pod later on. Well, yeah, but I don't I, see. I don't blow people out. I keep people in games with my running and then what happens is I suck them into making bets with me and then I kick their ass because my running is really it feels like you're gonna you're you're right there but you're never really right there you're always down uh, I'll have to get some practice in and uh, take you up on this okay but I got I got That'll something else for you um, we talked about the Browns what did you think about Odell wearing a I think it was a $350,000 watch wasn't it 
a Richard Mille watch? Yeah. Or 190? 190. I think grand? it was I think it was interesting, man. Honestly, I don't know the rules and regulations around football. I see guys wearing chains. I see guys wearing rings uh, or little rubber bands when they're throwing fingers. I know Cousins is a guy who wears uh, something on his on his uh, ring finger. But in this particular case, looking at other sports, looking at the tennis players, they have on watches, they have on jewelry. Looking at track athletes, they're running in watches, they're running in jewelry. Obviously, those aren't contact sports. But I think Nadal was playing in a what nine hundred, eight hundred thousand dollar Richard. Yeah, that. that and he's obviously a he's yeah. a sponsor. He's a sponsor of them, so I understand it. But in Odell's case, I think it's just hard for people to kind of accept um, that the game is changing. The guys are more prone to do certain things. Uh, sometimes it attracts attention, especially when you're a player of Odell's magnitude. Now, is it right for him to wear the watch as long as it's within? League rules and regulations. I don't see what's wrong it's with it. It's plastic. Now, if there's something, by the way, it is plastic. Right. He he said it was plastic, so he, there's no rule on that. Uh, I think the hard the hard rule is that there can't be any hard items on the field. But then you see Alvin Kamara. You see certain guys running with chains on, and uh, <laughs> I don't understand. You know the balance there between you know a chain's okay, but a watch isn't. I don't, I don't really understand it. But I think the biggest thing he has to understand is that he's a global figure. So whatever he does is going to make waves. And I think, obviously, it becomes a bigger story when you lose at home by 30. It's no, it's no one's fault. It's not his fault they lost. It's not Baker's fault. It was a team effort, and they lost. And now I think the storyline switches to, oh, he has a watch on. Is he, is he more focused on being seen? Is he more focused on this or that? But the, the reality is that Odell's been wearing this watch all summer. If you follow him on Instagram, if you follow the Brown, the Browns Instagram page, he's been working out with this watch on all summer. He's played in pre well, he's played in pre-scrimmages, inter-squad scrimmages with the watch on. He's done things of that nature. So it's only a big, nail, big deal now because A, it's an expensive watch. B, it's Odell Beckham. And C, my Browns took a tough, tough loss. But we're going to redeem ourselves on Monday. Whether he wears the watch or not, I don't care. As long as he continues to catch Wait, passes I- and uh, help help our team win, I, I don't care. Am I, am I come, are you in a box Monday night? No, I just got two tickets around the – I don't even know where they're at. I just got two tickets, though. So. The, game's, the game's in New York, right? In New York against the Jets, All right, night well, game, Monday night. I, I, might, I might just have to pull up and say what up. I'll be there with wifey, so. Oh, it's, 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 it's going to be a good night. It's, it's going to be a good night. Let me know. What are you singing? <laughs> For sure. I was singing, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> My voice is terrible. My voice you is have, terrible. You, you, but, you're going to have a yeah. great time. I'll 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 respect your Browns and you know I won't I won't I won't attend as a Jet fan. Um, Richard Mill, by the way, <laughs> is the correct enunciation. Richard Mill, and Odell from Richard. his Twitter, he says on his Twitter, "If it ain't one thing, it's another," and I would say facts to that because I didn't have any problem. I thought the watch looked great, and obviously, um, if it wasn't Odell, I don't think people would be having this conversation. but Or if it's a $20 watch, people don't really talk about it. They're like, why is he wearing a $20 watch? But since it's an expensive watch, right. now it's, why is he wearing this expensive yeah. watch? But um, What I did mean, you think? As the, as the saying goes, you may have to tell time during the game. <laughs> yeah. That's that's true. As the saying goes, uh, you, hit the, you hit the nail on the head. You hit it on the head. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. What about ninja style headwear? I saw you tweeted, uh-oh, for Mo, because obviously Mo Harkless is uh, one of the participants. Uh, other guys that have worn the ninja style headwear that is no longer permitted. Jimmy Butler, Drew Holiday, Montrez Harrell, Carl Anthony Towns, and Jared Allen. I don't agree with it, honestly. I think the only reason they're banning it is because some of the sponsors of the NBA haven't figured out how to place logos on the on the on that material. And they basically don't want guys wearing certain things that aren't logo-themed because it's affecting the bottom line. And there's there's a way for certain sponsors to capitalize on money on certain items. And on this particular item, they haven't made them with the sign. And for the most part, even the ones that do have the sign, it's hard for you to see it visibly because of the way guys are tying them up. And I think it's blasphemy. No one's going to get hurt from a ninja-style headpan. No one's throwing soft cloth at people. It's not going to poke someone's eyes out. It's not a distraction. I think it's just another way for them to kind of tone down on – uh, on-court gear, on-court merchandise, and want to, in the meantime, figure out how to properly place certain logos that need to be seen or want to be seen uh, by sponsors. Yeah, I, I just fans. don't get it at all, honestly. I Really strange. Um, I thought the headbands looked super dope. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of great things about the NBA. Um, this one is just a weird move for me. I don't really understand how it hurts anybody. I don't think I don't think it's a negative in any way. Um, guys like wearing them, um, and, and it's basically they're saying it's not part of the NBA uniform. But there's plenty of other accessories that guys wear and have worn over the years, um, such as rubber bands or um, you know sleeves. None of this stuff was like sleeves weren't common ten years ago. Um, you know, Dwayne Wade with the, you know, times sometimes when he wears his um, his how do you call it? I guess it's like his compression shorts, and they've they've had issues with right. with some of those as well. I, I just don't get it. Adam Silver is usually on the right side of this one. I don't know how much he had to do with this, but I can't imagine that uh, this is going to be well received by players, especially ones that uh, that wear the ninja style. I love this quote that uh, ESPN reported in a statement. Teams have raised concerns regarding safety and consistency of size, length, and how they are tied, which requires a thorough review before consideration of any rule change. you got to be kidding me. Where, where, is, where is that? Oh, I see. It it's, says it's Bass told ESPN yeah. in a statement. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, crazy. They're worried about the size, length, and how they are tied. Are you serious? Come on. I mean, it's, it's a headband. It's, it's literally... A completely um, irrelevant thing to challenge. It has nothing to do with the game in terms of how players like nobody's ever gotten hurt from a headband, right? And this headband's not any different than the ones that are qualified, but the ones that are qualified have NBA logos on them. This is honestly softer than the other headbands. These are like right. thin cloths. They're the good other quality. headbands are more more prone to like poke somebody right. in the face if thrown. Man. It's yeah, just, so it's, it's out a, of control. It's, it's just so unnecessary. Slippery so. situation, but 
Regardless, I guess no ninja headbands will will be worn this season. Go back to football for a second. Okay. Sammy Watkins. I want to I shout him out. I drafted yeah. him last year, and I was not happy with the performance, obviously. Um, Me it was a down year. He, he went just, through some, he's in, destroyed he went my through some injuries. As well. Yeah, I took him early. He went through some injuries. Obviously, there's some changes that have been made within the offense, uh, changed the scenery, and um, he looked unbelievable. He's in a contract year. He's balling out. Uh, Tyreek goes down with an injury, so it's looking like he's going to be featured. And I'm sick to my stomach because I passed up on him in this year's fantasy draft, specifically because I remember last season being a tough one for me, man. But I just want to shout him out because he's doing an amazing job in one game so far this season. And he's opened a lot of eyes. And I'm so glad that a lot of teams in my league had him on the bench because they would have put up serious numbers. Well, it's a, it, you're right. And he's been a guy that's been criticized. He's obviously been hurt a lot. Um, I was in the Dolphins facility, the day he was traded from Buffalo to Kansas City. And I I remember thinking it was a big deal. Like, oh, that's a big deal. And I I remember players and coaches being like, eh, he's not that good. You know, he's soft. The guy is 26 years old. He was the fourth pick in the draft in 2014. We know he's incredibly talented. You saw it. Uh, He had nine catches, almost 200 yards Three touchdowns. You saw it in full on full display, and like you said, no Tyree Kill now for for a while. He's going to have an opportunity. Watkins is to be um, putting up massive numbers. Do you think this is going to continue? I mean, I'm not saying this level, but do you feel like he's going to have an All Pro Pro Bowl caliber year? I think he's definitely going to have a Pro Bowl caliber year, especially if Tyreek Hill is out for considerable amounts of time because he's going to have a high amount of targets. They're going to put him in space, screen passes, misdirection, slants. He has that breakaway speed to where he puts that foot in the ground on the slant and he can take it the distance, 60, 70 yards. And when you have arguably the best quarterback in football targeting you at a high level consistently, it's hard for you to fail. You got a tight end in Travis Kelsey, who's all world. You got running backs who can come in and out of a game and impact, and you have a great offensive play caller who's capable of putting you in a position to succeed, I don't see how you can fail. And just based on that start, I think his confidence and the staff and team's overall confidence in him will continue to increase to where he's going to have a very, very successful season. Yeah. Uh, I misspoke, by the way. He was traded to the Rams originally from Buffalo. Uh, He did hit 21.33 miles per hour on one of his touchdowns, which is insanely fast. Um, if you don't already know that, I I knew that that was fast. I think most listeners will, but that is really, really fast. Um, he uh, he changed his whole off-season workout regimen. Um, I think he lost some weight. He, he looks great, and he had a really good camp. And a lot of guys have good camps, and you just kind of chalk it up to a team saying, oh, this guy looked good, but he really looked like the number four pick that he was you know, five years ago. So I'm happy for him. I will say that he absolutely ruined one or two of my fantasy leagues in the past. So I do hold a little bit of a grudge. But maybe, you know what, CJ? Maybe I'll try to trade for him. I mean, you can always get him back. Eh, good luck after that performance. You may, you may want to wait till about week four or five Yeah, uh, to try to go get him after, after a subpar week because no one's trading him now. I actually picked up uh, a guy from the Lions, the, the tight end from the Lions who had an amazing year. You I picked actually, up? Uh, an amazing year. Oh, TJ uh, Hawkinson. Hawker, 
Hawkinson. Yeah, he's the real he deal. He had an amazing week, week one. So this is us just going and diving into fantasy because fantasy is life right now. You, you, I, uh, I, I picked told him you up that, off bro. of waivers. I know, but I picked him up off of waivers because wow. you're never going to guess what happened. Tell me, My so, tight end, Josh Reed. Josh Reed. Jordan Reed. Josh Reed. Yeah, Jordan, Jordan Reed's Reed great. The he's never on the field. Is, is currently, he's never healthy. He's questionable and he's hurt right now, so he hasn't been able to play. And then my other tight end in another league, you'll never guess who, Hunter Henry is going to oh, be out man. for some time because Broken of the injury. Wow. Yeah, so it's a it's a tough situation, but we shall Wait, did you overcome. start Hawkinson in week one, though? Did you already have him started? Because Reed was out before the game. I didn't, I didn't have him, and I wasn't really paying attention to my fantasy. So I actually started Reed, who produced zero points because he didn't play. And uh, needless to say, it cost me a few points, but it's okay. I, w- I really wish we were in the same fantasy league because I could just destroy you. You really think so? I, I think the CJ Jordan fantasy matchup would be – you know what? You know what we need to do is is get back into the DFS, like the daily fantasy. We 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 had that going on last year for a little bit. That was fun. We did. We just have to get. I think we need to get more participants, more yeah. people to be involved in it, actively, yeah. actually want to do it because those dailies are are hard to win. They but are. They are, they are very hard. Yeah. Taking it back to NBA players, one NBA player decided to show up to an Eagles game. In a Redskins jersey, seeing as he's from Virginia, I don't see what was wrong with it. But some fans saw that they would test the six foot nine Mike Scott forward from the Philadelphia 76ers, and video surfaced of him exchanging blows. Well, not even exchanging, more so delivering blows as he was attacked by ongoing fans. I'm not sure what the situation is. I'm just describing what the video looked like. Needless to say, if I'm a fan, I don't think I'm going after the 6'9 guy in the Redskins jersey because chances are he's going to be able to uh, defend himself in a, in a non-orderly manner. <laughs> well, what's crazy is that they didn't, you know, we talk about Philadelphia fans being great fans. How could they not know that Mike Scott was a 76er. He's been there. He's not like he's a brand new player. He's been there. Um, like you said, he is a Redskins fan. He went to UVA. I don't understand how he w- First of all, when people wear other teams' jersey, it's probably because they're from that like town. So, or they grew up rooting for that team. So to just start saying, right. you know, F the Redskins, F you, which is what was said. It was just like I, I just I never really understand that. Like, oh, I don't like you because you like this team. It's just it's very childish. But nonetheless, to pick on a guy who's that big and basically just assume that he's going to go away, like there are consequences for your actions, and especially when you're talking about racial slurs, which is basically what we now know happened. So no wonder the guy was mad. And there is now um, a report that on a on a Philadelphia newspaper that the incident involving the uh, the the instigator has him quote almost unemployed and almost divorced. So karma's a bitch. Wait, wait. The guy that attacked him is almost unemployed and almost divorced. Yes. Oh man, alcohol, alcohol is an, an crazy, crazy drug, especially at games. It can really affect your judgment. And I hope, I hope that people practice uh, 
better judgment in these types of situations and figure out how to restrain themselves from these can situations. I, can I, but I'm speaking gonna read of the you, good, I'm going to read you. Say, speaking of the good alcohol, we got to talk about some wine later. Yeah, I know. I, I have plenty of that. I'm just going to read you an excerpt from the Philly Voice, which is kind of like uh, your your eyes on the ground for for Philadelphia, especially with sports. Um, this is quote. So he says he says. Uh, at the time, I didn't know, but yes, that it was Mike Scott. When you found out that it was Mike Scott, what did you do from that point on? We immediately, a handful of us from our group, a lot of guys split and went home. But a handful of us went immediately to find a supervisor, immediately went in, uh, into the security room in the basement and tried to contact the Sixers and Mike Scott himself. We were there for hours trying to deal with it, trying to apologize. This is afterward, once they realized it was Mike Scott. So clearly... Uh, again, they did not know who it was. When they did, uh, they were like, oh, we made a big mistake. And uh, obviously, um, uh, there's another quote, grown men with tears in their eyes. So this this did not end well for for them. Oh, geez, grown men. He, he must have beat the brakes off of them. <laughs> the the <laughs> quote is, some serious his, quote. What, was, what was Mike Scott's reaction? The quote is, he was not happy. Uh, I would imagine. I would imagine so. I wouldn't be very happy either about that. Uh, whole I mean, it'd be situation. like you. It'd be like if, like, imagine you're at a you're at a a Seahawks game, and you know you're wearing your Jim Brown jersey, your Baker jersey, whatever it is, and some local Seahawks fans that are probably Blazer fans start yelling at you, um, and 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 then the racial like it's the whole thing is just so, it's just so unfortunate. Yeah, it's a. Tough situation and uh, wishing them nothing but the best going forward. Obviously, I have some Philly ties going to school in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. So, um, wishing them semi-success <laughs> this upcoming season and hope and hoping people can enjoy some fine wine. Yes. So, what um, did you have? Tell me that, your favorites. I had a lot of favorites during my time in Italy. Um, based on wine tastings, based on certain dinners, different types of Proseccos. It was a very entertaining time. And we also had a Santorini favorite that I really enjoyed. But I would say the first thing I had during our little rendezvous, I went back to back to America. I was going to say coming to America. I had the Opus 1, 2015. But after that, I was all Italian wine uh, from from there on out. And just trying different Brunellos, trying different, um, I'm going to try to pronounce this uh, the right way. Brunello di Mondolcino. I had a great 2009, um, which is pretty good. The vintage that sells online is going for about 74 bucks. So kind of a intermediate to high price point, depending on what your budget is. But I also had some wines that were more friendly. I had the Chianti, or how do you say it? Is it Chianti or Chianti? Chianti. I had the Chianti, Rafina, Vigneto, Bucerciale, Reserva. 2015, which is sensational and is going for about 30 bucks online. It's among the top 2% of wines in the world. Closer to bold than light, closer to tannic than smooth, a little bit more dry than sweet, and high acidity, which means your mouth's going to water. But there's definitely that earthy taste to it, that vanilla and 
slight berry taste uh, to it. But I really enjoyed those two um, for sure. Obviously, there's some ones with higher price points like the uh, Tignello. How you say it? Tig Tignanello? I don't know that one, but Tignanello. <laughs> Tignanello. It's Tignanello. T I G. T I G N A N E L L O. Dinello, Dinello, Dinello. <laughs> However you say it, it's sensational. It's a little bit more expensive. Uh, obviously, it's from Tuscana, Italy, and it's among the top 1% of wines in the world. More dry than sweet, uh, in between bold and light, in between smooth and tannic, but very earthy more full body. I really enjoyed it. It's one of my favorites that came home with me uh, and should be arriving literally any day now um, as we continue to wait. But what have you had lately, Jordan? I know I just gave a bunch of lines, but what have you had lately? No, that's great. Um, I appreciate the range that you just provided. Uh, I appreciate the range you just provided for sure. So we, we had a lot of good stuff. Um, you know, Italy is confusing in the sense that there's a lot of different kinds. A Nebbiolo, Barolo, Barbaresco, um, which which wifey loves the most. Uh, I don't love the Barbaresco quite as much, but we did have plenty of good stuff from there. But my the Barolo, we had an insane Barolo, a, Bar a Barolo Reserve, um, Bruno Giacosa. Uh, I don't know if that's the correct pronunciation, but that's what I'm going with. Um, that was excellent. That was very pricey, but excellent. Uh, we had a very nice uh, Barolo that was extremely well-priced, a tw 2007 Barolo del Comune de Suralunga. I believe that's from Piedmont. That <laughs> I love was, how you put the I love how you put the ask, accent on. Yeah, I, I always that, that's how that's how I roll with my with my accents. Um, and then uh, one more Brunello that I thought was tremendous, uh, Brunello de Montalcino. Was that the one you had? You said? I believe so. Okay, because no, that one was excellent. That was really, really good. Um, it was a 2012. Yeah, Montesino. That was so good. I had a, I had the Vigna Loretto Brunello di Montesino 2012 vintage. Yep. That was I unreal. See you. I okay. see you in my bag. You was in my you was in my Italian bag. Yeah, absolutely. So those are a few. Uh, I'm I'm trying to find the Barbaresco that we had. I don't know if I can find it. I one of them that was really good that I just pulled up. Um, is called the Valle Grande, which in all this will be available on the pull-up official wine list document guide. But that was, I, I think that was like well under a hundred bucks. It was great. Um, that was a really nice bottle that we had at uh, a restaurant in uh, in Italy. So um, that's like three or four wines. I feel like we had great, we have some really nice range and different uh, grape styles varieties for our listeners now from Italia. For sure, for sure. And for those of you that like those intermediate price points, we gave you a couple of them trying to stay around 50 bucks. Obviously, you know, for those of you that have the appetite for it, there's some heavy hitters out there that definitely taste marvelous. But as the saying always goes, drink the expensive stuff first because after two, they all taste the same. <laughs> that's the way it goes. And, that, and that's the way the cookie crumbled. And I think I think that's it. We we that's discussed it. the NBA offseason a little bit, um, but we can touch base more on that next week as we get closer to training camp. So that's it. Appreciate all our listeners out there tuning in faithfully. Um, you can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio.com backslash Pull Up with CJ, or wherever you get your shows. And don't forget to pull up, pull up. <laughs>